Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Chase Dewey, if this is your first time here, we're in the, uh, the spiritual gifts. We've been camped out in the spiritual gifts for a while. I think we're going to be there for a while. And uh, Jonathan has had this great definition for what a spiritual gift even is. It's a sovereignly given ability. And I think that's an amazing definition. I would add one little thing to it at the end, and that the sovereignly given ability it actually leads to multiplication of fruit in the kingdom. So I think it's this, this thing that the Holy Spirit gives us in order to multiply the kingdom of heaven on earth. So with that, let's get into what today's teaching is over, and it's over teaching. The spiritual gift of teaching. By no means am I teaching this because... I'm the most qualified, spiritually gifted teacher at this church. I'm not even the most qualified, spiritually gifted teacher. I don't even know if I have the spiritual gift of teaching. If I don't, don't tell me. I'll figure it out. But I don't know uh, about that. I do know that our community has been blessed with a plethora of spiritually gifted teachers that have impacted me. And these aren't people that aren't just on uh, staff. I'm, People who come to mind, obviously, Jonathan, my dad, Greg Dewey, if Malik's in here, Greg Dewey, um, Sue Crawford has the gift of teaching, um, Bethany Flockstra has the gift of teaching, Sally Seal, you have the gift of teaching, uh, Jake Dearman, you have the gift of teaching. So not trying to put you guys on the spot. I just want to call that out and like, and pray that the Lord would multiply that. Um, he would pour gasoline, give you more opportunity to grow in depth of insight so that like, as you go, because that's the thing of teaching. Teaching isn't reserved to a stage. We'll get to that later. But as you go, continue to teach, like operate and exercise in that gift. And, and I think that the Holy Spirit is actually going to awaken gifts within people. If you weren't aware that you have this gifting, it's gonna, you might feel that you do by the end of this. And, and we'll have a time of response for that. So let's get into it though. What is the gift of teaching? It's gonna be a broad overview. There's a lot to cover. Um, and we're, we just can't do it in the time uh, allotted this Sunday morning. But I, I want to hit the main points. First is the spiritual gift of teaching reveals truth about God's kingdom and the character of God. So what teaching does is it reveals truth. Truth. They, truth. Teaching. That go hand in hand. Um, another thing. 
these uh, truths that are expressed and taught by the spiritually gifted teacher often equip the body, strengthen our faith, and create a deeper longing for more understanding within us. So, you've been in the presence of a spiritually gifted teacher when they reveal something and it's like scales fall off your eyes and you're like, oh my gosh, that's true. And you might not even fully understand what's true yet. You're like, I just know it's true. I don't really get the depth of it, but I know it's true. And then also it creates this hunger to get, get into God's word, get into his presence, figure this thing out. It like provokes a curiosity within us when a spiritually gifted teacher is teaching, when the Holy Spirit is at work within a person and exercising that gift. And while we're at it, I, I wanna say three quick things that the spiritual gift of teaching is not. It is not the most important gift in the church. It's not. In America, trying to tread lightly, because I don't want to be critical, but in America, teaching has gotten a platform that has become elevated and is sometimes seen as the most important part the most important part of a, a worship service, the most important gift to be exercised. We look at teachers and we're like, oh my gosh, he's the best teacher ever. And it almost creates kind of like a celebrity culture within the church. And I just want to correct that. This is an extremely powerful gift. But the most important spiritual gift, we'll talk about this in a second, is not the gift of teaching. And I'm actually not going to reveal it yet. I was going to. I'm not going to reveal it yet. You have to stay engaged for at least five more minutes. Um, we'll get to that though. Uh, but yeah, charisma, leadership, and big crowds are not proof that the gift of teaching is being used. But it does not mean that the gift of teaching shouldn't be used. All right. Next, it is not reserved to 40 minutes on Sunday. Hopefully today it's not reserved to 30 minutes on Sunday. We'll see. Um, but teaching is as you go. Teaching isn't something that's on a stage with one person. Teaching is as you go. Teachers that operate in the spiritual gifting are often like coaches. Brooks, another spiritually gifted teacher. What may maybe the most spiritually gifted teacher in my life currently. Every time I get around him, I experience the Lord and a hunger stirs up in me. And he's doing this. You are a teacher also, but you coach. And when we get lunch at three tequilas, you're teaching. Like teachers just can't help but teach. They just can't help it. So... We ate at three tequilas. We did not have three tequilas at lunch. That would have been awesome, but it's not expensive. So, um, next point and last point before we get into what scripture says about teaching. Thank you, Brooks, though, for real. Like, you really are an amazing teacher. Um, another thing is like a mature, spiritually gifted teacher does not seek or desire a platform. Like I just said, teachers teach as they go. Spiritually gifted teachers who are operating in that gift can't help but teach. 
They can't help it. And here's the thing, even if you aren't, if that's not like a primary spiritual gifting that the Lord has given you, he can still, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to. He can use you in a moment to be a teacher to someone. And so to reserve it to this stage, to reserve it to uh, like, the, like the pinnacle of the spiritual gifts is just not true. It's not about seeking platform. It's about communicating, again, the truth of God. The truth of God. That's what's most important. So what does scripture say of teaching? And really, there's not a, there's not a ton specifically on this gift. Like we can, we can like get into like the weeds, but when it's explicitly said, James 3.1 talks about, and here's the thing. So if you, if you think you're a teacher and you're like, man, it'd be awesome because of this culture that America has. And you're like, man, it'd be awesome to be a teacher. James 3.1 will be sobering for you. Those who teach will be judged more strictly. Teachers are held to a higher standard according to James 3.1. Because they are revealing truth about God that helps, again, strengthen, equip, encourage, activate faith. Romans 12, oh, let's go back. Romans 12, uh, I'm gonna hit these three real fast. Romans 12 just talks about humble service of the body and it says, hey, if you are a teacher, teach. That's simple enough. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about all the different gifts but the same spirit different uh, abilities, different works, but it's all through the same Lord. And in this, it says first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracle workers. And it goes on with a list. You can see it's like verse 26 in 1 Corinthians 12, where it starts saying that stuff. And then it says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. So here it is. Thanks for paying attention for the last five minutes. Here is what I think the most important spiritual gift is, or at least the most important thing to have while operating in the spiritual gifts. Both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 lead up to the pinnacle. The pinnacle is not the gifts. It's love. It's love. Without love, we cannot properly exercise our giftings. So when Paul says earnestly desire the greater gifts, I think he is pointing us, not only if I'm a teacher, it doesn't mean I'm in third place and that I need to desire the prophets and the apostles. Or if I'm a miracle worker, to me, a miracle worker sounds cooler than a teacher. But like, if I'm a miracle worker, I don't desire being a teacher. It's not it. No, in all things, we desire love. We desire love. Ephesians 4, the last verse uh, just talks about the fivefold ministry. And my dad preached on that a couple weeks ago. I'd go listen to it uh, on the podcast if just for a refresher, especially, I mean, if anything sticks out in this one, go back. I'm kind of building off of his stuff. I'm just honing in on one of them. But the fivefold, what's really interesting about the fivefold gifts is that Jesus operated perfectly in the fivefold gifts. When Jesus walked on earth, he was perfectly operating in the apostolic, perfectly operating in the prophetic, perfectly operating in the teaching, and we can go on, pastoring, shepherd, uh, and evangelism. He operated in those perfectly. And then it goes on to say, I can't remember right now, but it, Jesus is the head of the body. And so isn't it beautiful that the man who embodied all of this perfectly becomes the head and then of the body and then distributes amongst the body these five ministerial gifts 
Why is this important? Because now we can't, he literally ingrained humility into this. The fivefold ministry, for it to work, for the body to be healthy, we have to operate in humility. We have to. If I'm, a, if, I'm, if I'm a prophet, or if I'm operating, I'm not a prophet. If I operate in the prophetic, I need to be around teachers and evangelists and, you know, and everything. We work together as a body. And because Jesus was perfect, and no one has ever taught or exercised the spiritual gift of teaching better than Jesus, I think it's just only right that we focus today's discussion on Jesus the teacher. And so we're going to walk through uh, what was it like when Jesus taught. And, and there's one passage that I think is really important that kind of unravels all of Jesus' teachings. I mean, I read through and tried to find like all of these times, all these like good applications that I could use and all the teaching. There's so much, there's too much. So we're just gonna focus on one thing that kind of unravels all of them. And then I encourage you guys go out and, and you yourselves like read about Jesus. Especially if you're a teacher. Because he's the best teacher you can learn from. Uh, when Jesus taught, he taught to thousands. Sometimes he taught to a few. Sometimes he taught in private. Sometimes he taught publicly. When he taught, sometimes people got sad, angry. Some experienced the kingdom of heaven revealed through miracles that happened. Jesus taught as he went along the road. Jesus taught as he rested and pulled away with the disciples. Wherever Jesus went, he was teaching. And, and in Acts 1, Luke, where we're going to center this discussion, um, partially because Luke says he wrote the most orderly gospel. So it's kind of a nice flex by Luke that he's like, hey, this is the best one. So we're just going to trust him. Uh, but Luke actually writes Acts. Acts is like the follow-up to his gospel. And in Acts 1, he goes, in Luke, in this gospel that I presented to you, I actually wrote of all the things that Jesus did and taught. And that is important. When Je what Jesus did was equal to what Jesus taught. He didn't teach anything that he didn't do, which is important for the spiritual gift of teaching. It is not just information transfer. It is activation. Uh, it, it's allowing transformation to take place. I think that's one of the most important signals of the gift of teaching is, is transformation taking place? And that's why I was semi-critical, very critical of the American church elevating the gift of teaching. Even talking with Jonathan this morning, it's like, America has the greatest teachers, so we say, in the world, but every person in this church body would probably have some issues with the American church. Why is that? There's still issues to do. We need, to see, we need transformation to take place. And uh, that's that next slide right there. Transformation is greater than information. Information is never the end goal for the teacher. The end goal is transformation. And transformation can happen quickly in an instant. It did oftentimes with Jesus. But also when he walked with the disciples, that's a long burn. He spent three years with Peter. Peter denies him. He has to come back after he's resurrected, after he's shown himself to Peter, and Peter still is having issues, and he's got to meet him while Peter's out fishing in the lake so he can remind him of what, uh, teach him about his love, forgiveness, repentance, all that stuff. And so it could take place over a long period of time. Uh, 
and, and Paul says this too. He says, did I not, I didn't come with eloquent, eloquent speech. I came with power. I came with power. Uh, and, that, and that's when you know the spiritual gift is at play because the Holy Spirit is working through you. By myself, if I stood up here, no matter how good my research was, no matter how good of a speaker I was, no matter how amazing, all this stuff, it wouldn't matter if the Holy Spirit was not working through me. Because by myself, I cannot do what the Holy Spirit can do. Transformation only takes place when the Holy Spirit is at play. And when the spiritually gifted teacher teaches, transformation happens. It happens. It's greater than information. It's greater. And so I want to look real quick. Oh, another thing. Jesus often taught in parables. If I got up here and I told you a parable and then I got off the stage, you guys would be so confused because we don't do that anymore. You'd be like, what was that? But the awesome thing about parables is parables were just stories that almost take your mind out of the equation. And for the ones who have ears to hear, it would go straight to the heart and the kingdom of God would unfold in front of their eyes. But if, if he just got up, if Jesus did the seminar, you know, he just went around Israel doing his seminar, like, oh, hey, five ways to maximize your potential. The kingdom of God's now, you know? Like, if that's what Jesus did, I don't think we'd be standing here today. It wasn't just information. Yes, he was revealing truth. Yes, he was revealing uh, deeper understandings of things. But to the ones who didn't want that, who didn't want to experience the transformation, who didn't have ears to hear, guess what? They went on their merry way. Unchanged. So let's go to Luke 8. And actually, I want you guys to open a Bible, if you have one. I'm okay with technology if you want to use it, but I'm opening my Bible. And I want you guys to turn to Luke 8. If you're taking notes, write Luke 8 down and go back and actually read it. We're going to move somewhat quickly through this. Because again, I'm trying to hit under 30, not under 40. All right. Luke 8, parable of the sower. And I love how it even starts. It acknowledges three women that are supporting Jesus in his ministry as he's going from town to town, village to village, teaching. Teaching. And a large crowd, as it often did with Jesus, starts to gather. Large crowd starts to gather. And Jesus tells this parable. A farmer went out, this is in verse 5. So Luke chapter 8, verse 5, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it, and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. And when I used to read, whoever has ears, let them hear, I often associated with like, don't miss this. And I think that's somewhat true, but I don't think it's as hard-handed. I think it's an invitation to enter in despite my maybe potential lack of understanding to enter in to the person and teachings of Jesus and allow him to transform the way that I view things. And I think, that's, I think that's true because guess what? It says the disciples end up asking him, what does this mean? 
His disciples did not know what he was talking about. <laughs> so let's all exhale. It's okay. It's okay if you don't initially understand. The point is, if you don't understand, go to the one who can reveal things, reveal truth to you. And so they go to him. They say, like, what does this mean? And he ends up, you know, cryptic Jesus kind of responds in a, another parable. But then he says, though seeing they may not see, this is in a verse 10, by the way. Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not, under, may not understand. And it was prophesied that Jesus, when the Messiah came, he would teach in this way. He would teach in this way. And, and then he describes the parable. How amazing would that be too? If we ever like, we're like reading in scripture and we're like, which I'm getting to a point here, but like, you're just like, man, what does that mean? And it, and the Lord would just be able to tell you. And I was saying, as I was saying that, I'm like, oh, that is that, that's accessible. That's very accessible. Every time you read your scripture, the Holy Spirit is accessible to reveal truth. And he actually goes on, and I want to read this together now. Uh, actually, verse 15, real quick. He talks about what the good soil stands for. It's someone with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and persevere. When a spiritually gifted teacher is teaching, and that teaching falls on good soil, it will produce a crop. It will, to the one that is hearing, to, the, to those who have ears to hear, it will spark something and activate something within. So if we even go back to our definition of the spiritual gift of teaching, it equips the body, strengthens our faith, and creates deeper longing uh, for understanding. That doesn't seem very different than verse 15, the good soil, what Jesus is describing. But in verses 16 through 18, he says this, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in and can see the light, so those can come in and see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. This is, I think, Jesus telling us, one, the parable of the sower is Jesus's message for how he's going to teach. He's telling the disciples, this is what's going to happen. As I go on this little transformation circuit, what's going to happen? When I preach, some people aren't going to take it at all. Some people are going to be like, that's really nice, Jesus, and then get caught up in the anxieties of the world. But there will be some that it lands on good soil, and it'll change the world. It'll transform the world to the point that when in Acts, as uh, Luke is still writing an account, it says, these people are flipping the world upside down. They're flipping the world upside down. So this parable is not, I won't say it's not, I'm not going to say it's not, but it's not only the evangelism, like, oh yeah, you know, it's all about salvation and all that stuff. No, this parable is insight to Jesus's teaching methods. He's telling the disciples what will happen when he teaches before he's even doing it. It's awesome. That's a sidebar, I'm sorry. But what Jesus is doing in verses 16 and 17 is I think he's telling you, if you have, like, he's almost like encouraging the disciples, what you did was good. You came to me and asked. Come and ask. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus always is teaching about this. Like, if you don't understand, come to me for more understanding. I'll give it to you. It might not be immediately in that moment. But I want to reveal truth to you. That's the work of the Spirit. He guides us in all truth. 
And so that's what, I think that's what he's saying in verse 16 and 17. But in 18, it, this is for us, the listener. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Oof. If you do not come under the authority, I'll say of the Holy Spirit, working through the spiritual gift of teaching, you'll miss it. And you'll be like the other soil. You won't be like the good soil. Here at Skyline, we want to be good soil. But if you do not come under the authority of Holy Spirit and the gift of teaching that he uses amongst his body, you will miss it. You'll miss it. It's sobering. Whoever will be given, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. When I read that, I said, whoever has what? What are you talking about? Go back to the beginning of Luke 8. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom uh, has been given to you. It's understanding. Whoever has, if, if my heart is good soil, whoever has understanding continues to follow me they'll gain more understanding to the one who thinks they know more than I do. You'll have nothing in the end. Jesus said it, not me. So, that's Luke 8. And then what's awesome about Luke 8 is as he goes, you have four stories when Luke organize this gospel. Again, his words, not mine. He made it the greatest gospel that's ever been written. It's the most orderly account. He purposefully is, if we were to take out uh, all the titles, we would get met with uh, four stories. Four stories in Luke 8. The first one, Jesus is teaching. Mom and dad come and brother, hey, dude, come on. And people are like, hey, your mom and your family want to see you. And he's like, no, my family is the ones who hear my word and put it into practice. That's my family. Jesus is redefining through his teaching what family is in the kingdom. Then you go on. What happens next? Uh, oh, calms the sea. Uses that as an opportunity to teach the disciples about the gift of faith, which is necessary in this whole accepting and giving. Uh, uh, that's not the right way to say it, but like, exercising uh, the gift of teaching, faith has to be activated. And to receive teaching, faith has to be activated. Uh, so he's teaching on faith. Then he goes, and it's the legion guy, the guy who's got a legion of demons living in him. Dude runs to Jesus. Demons don't run to Jesus, by the way. So this man noticed something's different about this man, sprints to Jesus and says, like, help me, help me. Jesus gets rid of the demons and this is what I love about this story. When the crowds from the town come out, they find this demoniac fully clothed in the right mind on his knees in front of the teacher. He's receiving teaching in that moment from Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful picture. The demoniac, well, no longer the demoniac, is saying, hey, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, go into your town and tell what God did for you. There's so much there, but we can't do it today. I'm sorry. Talk to me afterwards. There's so much there. Basically, that guy is a part of Jesus' family. He did what Jesus told him to do. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, and then lastly, woman reaches out, touches Jesus. She's healed. Faith, again. Everyone's like, well, crap, Jesus. 
Your faith just got taken away. You healed that girl. We were on our way to raise a girl from the dead. How are we going to do that now? And Jesus goes, no, just believe and she'll, she'll live. And so in all of this, faith is at work, which I just think is really cool that how Luke organized that. That didn't really have much to do with the gift of teaching. That was just a Bible nerd moment. Thanks for walking through it with me. Um, okay, so let's, let's move on from Luke 8. Growing in the gift of teaching. Uh, how, so for uh, those who have this gifting, for those who are interested in how I could grow into this gifting, because you think that you have it, and for those who are just curious, um, here's the first thing. Immerse yourself in the life of Jesus. If he's the greatest teacher we've ever seen, it'd be foolish to go to somebody else. Not saying that you can't be discipled, but immerse yourself in the Gospels. We love, I love Paul. I love the letters. I love all those things. Immerse yourself in the Gospels. The first four books of the New Testament are the only books that we have that tell about the life and teachings of Jesus. For the spiritually gifted teacher to grow into this gifting, sit at Jesus' feet. Like the man who got the demons uh, sent out of him. Uh, Luke, Luke 6.40, saying in the book of Luke, says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. This is like, this is Jesus talking to the disciples, but it's applicable, I'm getting excited, applicable today because as teachers, we're probably still receiving teaching. That's discipleship. Teaching's just discipleship. And we're receiving teaching, we're exercising our teaching to others, and hopefully they're doing the same thing. The end goal is that we look like Jesus. Not that I look like Jonathan, or not that I look like Greg Dewey, or not that I look like Ron Crawford, or not that I look like, it's not about somebody else. The end goal is to look like Jesus, for the student to look like the teacher. The fact that that's even possible, guys, is a miracle. The fact that we can be like Jesus is a sermon in itself. Here's a sermon idea, Jonathan. So yeah, if you feel like you have the spiritual gift of teaching, go read the Gospels over and over and over and over and over and over and never get out of them. Uh, also, as you immerse yourself in Jesus' teaching, you'll become more aware of false teaching. So that's for everybody. Everyone should immerse yourselves in the gospel so that you'll know what is real and what is not. Because we have tons of false teachers today that like to tickle the ears. That's how Paul says it, not me. Weird expression. Tickle our ears. But guess what? Transformation isn't seen. And Jesus says, you'll notice what tree that tree is by the fruit that that tree bears. We want to be trees that bear the fruit of the kingdom. Another way to grow, uh, uh, grow in the gift, grow in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And the easiest things you could do, so John 14 and John 16, I'm not going to read it because I'm trying to haul, but um, it is beautiful how Holy Spirit is the, our guide, our teacher, and he leads us in all truth. So if you want to grow in the gift of teaching, boom, Holy Spirit is also your guy. He's always promoting Jesus. He loves Jesus. We love Holy Spirit. We love Jesus. Also, being immersed in worship, what happened this morning with Trent leading, the band up here leading, that's just as important. Wednesday nights, that's just as important. Monday at noon, that's just as important. And another thing is, we need to learn to listen 
to the Holy Spirit. And that leads to the last point. When we hear from the Holy Spirit, Hebrews would say, don't harden your hearts, but exercise. Again, do and teach. Exercise the gifting. Hebrews 5.12 gives another sobering remark to what happens when teachers are not operating in the spiritual gift of teaching, they're operating through their own means. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need, uh, you need milk, not solid food. Oof. Guys, steak is so much better than milk. It is. Steak is so much better than milk. That's my point. (laughs) But I do believe that to exercise the gift, to exercise in this gifting, requires uh, a lot of patience and a lot of humility. It really does. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. And it's not uh, your performance that earns you the stake. If, if your main goal is performance, you're still drinking milk. Because that's not, that's not the end goal. The stake is being in his presence and experience the transformation that takes place in his presence. So, um, exercising the gift. There's this uh, story that I have of my dad. It's a good one. And I was about eight years old. I'd already broken one window this summer. And I'd just broken my second one. And I was dead. I was like, I'm so dead. The first time I broke a window, the reaction gave no hope that the, that the second window was going to be good. So, and, and what I was doing, I was, I don't know what game I, I was eight years old, but I was like, like, I don't, there was a golf ball on the ground and I was using my shorts to like try to get it into a cup and it somehow like got caught up in my shorts and like David and Goliath, I threw that thing through the window and it just shattered it. And I'm like, I'm dead. And I mean, this happened at like noon, so I've got five hours till my dad gets home. I'm dreading every second of it. And my dad gets home and he says, get in the car. And I'm like, making sure there's not a shovel in the back. (laughs) And we ended up, um, we ended up going, we lived in Quill Creek. There's a 7-Eleven on uh, May and I think Hefner. And we go to that 7-Eleven. We used to always go there Uh, for celebration stuff, my dad would buy me packs of sports cards, which those are coming back, and get me an Icy. We pull into 7-Eleven, and he buys me three packs of cards and an Icy. I'm like, what is going on? It's like a PSYOP or something. I'm like, do I trust to drink the Icy? And we ended up we end up getting back in the car and my dad says, I'm sorry guys, I've gone longer, but my dad says, uh, this is what grace is. What you're experiencing is grace. You're getting something that you don't deserve. And I love you. And please God, do not break another window. 
<clears throat> I was eight years old, and my 27-year-old self understands grace and its impact. I have way more understanding now, but in that moment, it made sense. I understood grace. I understood what Jesus' sacrifice meant through my dad exercising the spiritual gift of teaching. So parents, you are teachers. My heart, my, my eight-year-old heart burned for who Jesus was. I don't know how anyone else, and there's no way else to describe it. My heart was on fire for Jesus. It was so, it caught me so off guard. And, and band, you can come back up. It caught me so off guard. And as I was remembering that story, I want to conclude today's sermon the same way Luke, we're going to stay in Luke, concludes his gospel. And it's with this story of these two disappointed disciples, unnamed, we don't know who they are, leaving Jerusalem. Even though Jesus said, stay here, stay in Jerusalem until the, what would be Pentecost, what, happened, what we celebrated last week would take place. And we've got two disciples disappointed in leaving. Jesus was not what they thought he was in their brain. Their understanding was off. And as they're walking, they're having the, the, the Greek word is actually like a heated discussion. They're kind of arguing back and forth about what took place. And along comes Jesus. Beautiful picture. They're leaving. They're leaving the place that Jesus said, stay here. And what is, where do we find the resurrected Savior? Walking with them as they're walking away. And he, and he does what Jesus always does. He goes, he asks a question. What are you guys talking about? They don't recognize Jesus. So they tell Jesus, so funny. <laughs> they tell Jesus from their point of view what happened. They're telling the man that is the resurrected Christ about himself from their flawed perspective. It's hysterical. And Jesus in his patience listens and he listens and he listens. And when they stop talking, he goes, how foolish are you guys? They still don't recognize him. That's not what that is. And Jesus, in his grace, walks through from Moses, through the prophets, about who he is. They still don't recognize him. It's like, guys, he sits down. Actually, he's like, all right, I'll see you guys later. They still don't recognize him. But just like in Luke 8, when the disciples engaged Jesus because of the curiosity, because truth and the spiritual gift of teaching was at work in their midst, they wanted more. They said, no, please stay with us and have a meal. Have a meal with us. So Jesus breaks bread. And in that moment, their eyes are open. It's Jesus. Oh my gosh. And then he's gone, like Jesus always says. He's gone. And they look at each other and they said, when he taught us, did our hearts not burn? Just like my heart did when I was eight. Did our hearts not burn when he taught us? And guess what they did? They packed it up and they went back to Jerusalem. That's repentance. 
And so what, the reason I, I want to end this way is if you're disappointed or you feel like you don't even recognize Jesus anymore and your heart's burning, we have a prayer team. We have altars. Do what the disciples did. Just turn back. You don't have to fully understand everything. He's got you. The Holy Spirit lives in you, will guide you in all truth. There's more teaching to be done. This won't be the last teaching you ever hear. So if your heart burns, accept the invitation to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Lord to pour himself out more on you. And if you, for anybody in here who during this talk was like, man, this this teaching is he's given me this teaching uh, come to the prayer team let us let us bless that let us pray into that there's power here and again that's even teaching praying for one another that's teaching each other how to exercise that gift in the body and if you just don't even know and you need prayer come on down anyways we'll still pray for you so was the greatest teacher ever. Ever. And I hope that today he taught through me in any way to everyone in this. And I hope that whatever he spoke through me to you lands on good soil and leads to transformation. Because that's what Christian, the Christian faith is about. It's not about information. It's about transformation. And it's accessible in his presence. So let's worship in his presence.